Welcome to Season 6 of the Farm Trainers Podcast, Episode 18, published on January 2nd, 2024. Happy New Year. First podcast of 2024. Looking forward to another great year, bringing information to everybody. We are part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts. And in this episode, we have one of our old guests, Brian Garaby, coming back to talk about how to prepare to teach medical classes. Many of us are looking for additional revenue streams, and teaching these additional classes is another uh, revenue stream that we can take advantage of. Help us help other instructors and people in the 2A community by rating our podcast in your favorite podcast app and also sharing this content with them. The only way people find out about things is if they hear about the information and the best way to do that is by the ratings of the podcast and also by friends telling them, hey, you should take a look into this. Good information. This episode is also brought to you by friends at the FTA, the Firearm Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and the competitive pricing. All certified instructors can apply for FTA coverage. Remember all the work you went to to get to this point. Get the backing of the FTA on your side to protect you in case something does happen. Remember, as listeners to this podcast, you can 10% off on your policy by using promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by the team at Mountain Man Medical. Responsible fire instructors have trauma medical gear on the range and are trained to use it. Mountain Man Medical provides the highest quality name brand medical gear on the market at a guaranteed lowest price. Check out the Wind River Kit, especially designed for firearm instructors to have at the range. The Yellowstone is perfect to have on your belt or in your bag anywhere you go. Learn more at mountainmanmedical.com and scroll to the bottom and click on available discounts to learn how firearm instructors can save 15% off the already guaranteed lowest prices on the market. And don't forget to click on the training link to take the emergency trauma response video course for free. Get the right gear and the right training at the best price anywhere on the mountainmanmedical.com. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Brian Garaby from MedTech. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Well, it's been a while since we've had you on. You were on Season 1, Episode uh, 10, and uh, for those listeners who might have forgotten what we talked about in episode 10. Can you give us a little bit about your background in the firearm industry? Uh, yes, sir. So uh, I've been trained uh, NRA uh, through many of the, the different courses there. I was a USCCA training counselor. Um, I've been through quite a few of the range master courses uh, through Rob Pincus's courses. Uh, so I was trying to get as much education in the firearms industry as possible. I think I, I stopped with 36, 37 different train the trainer courses. Very nice. Very nice. Well, today's topic, we're going to be talking about teaching medical classes, because I think in a lot of cases, you know, we've talked about on this podcast before the need to train our students on proper medical, um, you know, care, but at the same time, we don't really talk about how to go along and teach those subjects, because some of them are really easy. You get a boo-boo, you put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, but then there's other ones that take a little bit more skill, you know, putting on tourniquets and doing things and making sure we instruct our students what they should do and what they shouldn't do along those lines. So I think you're a great resource to be able to go along and give us some of those uh, information pointers on what we should be doing when we're teaching those uh, type of medical classes. 
Thank you. I, I, I'm a firm believer, you know, I, I was in scouting uh, when I was younger I got my Eagle Scout and one of the main scoutmasters while I was growing up was a physician. Uh, his name is Randy Oliver and, and truly he was a huge mentor for me to, and got my interest peaked for medical training itself. Uh, so I took that to the next level. Uh, when I was in the military, I was attached to the Marines uh, as a sailor. Uh, I was uh, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marine, 2nd Marine Regiment, primarily uh, infantry units. And I was stationed with a bunch of sailors. They were all corpsmen. So I went through a lot of their training. And as soon as I got out of the Navy, I ended up going and getting my emergency medical responder, which was called first responder at the time. Uh, in 98, I believe. Uh, and since then, I've got my EMT, my wilderness EMT, wilderness EMT instructor, um, my stop the bleed instructor, tactical medical instructor. I teach tactical combat casualty care, tactical emergency casualty care. So I'm all over the map with my training. And uh, truly, when you see some of the life-saving interventions that we can implement, with the technology we have today, it's, it's truly amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of cases, um, we've talked about this previously, we may not need to go along, keep somebody alive for hours because 911 will be there, but at the same time in situations to where the system collapses or, or we're in a place to where you can't get quickly to, uh, having advanced medical training to know what you should do, or in a lot of cases, what you shouldn't do in order to go along and keep that person in a stable condition before advanced life support can get to them and get, get them to a trauma unit there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, t tell me, tell me this, Brian, when we're going along and you know, talking about first aid classes, you brought up boy Scouts and a lot of boy Scouts, you talk about, you know, what to do if you get a knife cut, what to do if you skin a knee, different things along those lines, pretty basic type of thing. What kind of basic, um, things, uh, supplies and topics do you cover for just a basic uh, class, say, you know, a civilian basic class? So that's a great question, Rob. So we primarily focus on how, how to stop the bleeding when it comes to hemorrhaging, hemorrhage control, um, you know, direct pressure, direct pressure is, is the primary way that we're going to stop the bleed. Um, you know, if you look at just the advances in the medical industry itself, uh, utilizing tourniquets is a perfect example. When I first got my first aid training in, in the 80s and 90s, they're saying, you know, absolutely very last resort. You put it on. If you put put one on at all, you loosen it every 15 minutes. And, and the problem with that is you only have so much volume. So. Uh, the the direct pressure, direct pressure, and if it's it's still bleeding, they used to go to you know the look for the the pressure points and then last resorts tourniquet. Now they're saying direct pressure, direct pressure. If it's still bleeding after five to ten minutes, look at using a tourniquet. Uh, so you can again doing the most good for the, for the most amount of people. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer. Um, it, it's when you when you apply pressure, you're putting direct pressure and holding it. It's it's mm -hmm. it's not first aid hurts. You know that's the one thing that we always say in my classes. So we try to give realistic approaches to hemorrhage control. When we have somebody that simulates a gunshot wound to the to the leg, you're not going to have them just sitting there watching you put the tourniquet on. They're going to be rolling around. They're going to be screaming at you again amps up the stress, right? 
so we try to put realistic simulations in with that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you going through the class, you know, the, some of the drills that we do, uh, it truly is impressive to see people get amped up themselves and, and simulate that stress. And next thing you know, they're, they're having that adrenaline dump. So it, it's as realistic as it can be without the real blood. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of supplies would you recommend an instructor have for doing those, those kind of things? Because obviously, um, you know, we can use the, use the everyday supply or the real supplies, but in some cases, uh, are there training supplies that we can get away with that might be a little less, um, expensive, or at least they can be reused multiple times. So that's a great question that comes up in a lot of forums, uh, and a lot of medical professionals, uh, talk about that. Here's the one, one caveat in, in the, the advice that if, if anybody takes anything from this podcast, stay away from knockoff tourniquets, you know, do they work? Sure. But the problem is the one time they fail is when you need it. Um, I'm a firm believer. Uh, if you can get medical supplies from a vet supply store and it's cheaper than buying ABD pads from Amazon or another medical supply store, an ABD pad is an ABD pad. Um, gauze, same thing. Rolled gauze, same thing. Uh, if, where you can find it the cheapest, whether it's a training supply store or an actual medical supply store, they all have dates on them. Uh, they're not deteriorating. I don't throw any of my old supplies away. Um, so I, I typically have gauze, rolled gauze, uh, hemostatic agents like quick clot or C-Lox, um, emergency bandages. Um, then we look at, uh, again, the other things that we can utilize to help stop the bleed. Uh, the, one of the big things that I like to use is my emergency trauma dressings, uh, the Israeli bandages. Those things are amazing. They'll hold almost a liter of blood, put about 25 pounds of, of pressure directly onto a wound, and, and that will help stop the bleed very quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, that, and that's a great uh, point to bring up when you talk about supplies. Um, I was thinking about uh, you getting specific training supplies, but bring up the point about expired supplies. Now you may not want to go along and use those on somebody who's truly needs it, but at the same time, you know, gauze is gauze, um, for your chest seals or chest seals. And if they're expired, put them in the training bag and use them from that standpoint. So when you do use them and it gets, you know, the gauze gets ripped or gets muddied or something else like that, you throw it away and it's no big deal. And if it's still usable, roll it back up and use it for the next training class. And because you're, you're dealing with trying to get the, get the understanding there in the training, not necessarily trying to save somebody where you want to have sterile supplies for it. Yeah. And a lot of times if you don't have sterile supplies, they can treat, they can treat infection. Mm -hmm. so, stop the bleed. That's the key, right? Again, we only have so much volume, five and a half to six liters of blood. Once it starts spilling out, you can't put it back in fast enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, you were talking about tourniquets. One of the basics that I've learned, uh, since my days as a boy scout to where you, you know, loosen it and put in, you know, if they, I was told back in the seventies, you put a tourniquet on somebody, they're going to lose that limb. Nowadays, it's not, not that way. And essentially if you can't stop it, you know, with direct pressure, um, Throw a tourniquet on it. Just as simple as that, because when you get to the emergency room, when you get the trauma care, they can deal with a tourniquet. 
they can't deal with loss of blood to where either the volume's so low that you're going into uh, shock. And those are the things that we need to make sure that students know, understand how to treat it appropriately, because you look at airway, you look at the circulation, you look at the breathing. As long as they've got those three things, then you're in pretty good shape. But if any one of those are missing, you've got a serious problem on your hand. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and truly, Rob, uh, the I can tell you, um, I was working in an ED, I think 2009, and the combat application tourniquet had been on in the streets for probably six to seven years, right after the uh, the campaigns in the Middle East. And they weren't readily available in our ED or in our area, but I had already been through the tactical emergency casualty care class. And we had a, a, a guy come in that had a radial artery that was severed. And I, I slapped a combat application tourniquet on and, and put it on right and within you know 10 to 15 seconds, had clamped that artery off and the physician's like, where are you or where did you come from and who are you? You know, and, and truly it was impressive because the physician had never seen one before. So it's advances in, in medicine like that, which is impressive to me. Yep. Well, and one of the things that instructors, no matter how much you might know today about a topic, there's always more to learn. They're That's coming exactly. up new, yeah. new ways on medical, new ways on farms, new ways of just teaching theory. And we are, you know, shouldered with the responsibility to go along and stay current with that and, you know, and give feedback and to understand why it's a little bit better than what, what we used to do, you know, two, three, four years ago or 40 years ago, depending upon where you're coming from. And those are all, those are all things that we need to pass on to our students because if they're truly in a life saving situation, every little bit of information that we can give them can't be the difference between them, you know, saving somebody's life or them attending somebody's funeral. And, uh, I prefer the saving life side, not, the, not to attend the funeral. Absolutely. You know, and Rob, it's an insurance policy for everybody on these ranges, you know, uh, whether I'm, I'm teaching a firearms class or I'm just driving to work, I have a trauma bag in my, in my, in my vehicle, you know, and I have a four door truck. So I have two tourniquets in each door. And then I have a trauma bag that has eight tourniquets in it as well. So when you start looking at that, why am I doing that? Well, you never know what you're going to come up on. If you have a, a quad amputee, that's four tourniquets. And if you have multiple people in the vehicle that need them, I have enough to, to at least, you know, try and, and make an, a difference on in somebody's life there. So I, I try to make sure that, again, be prepared, right? You got to you gotta be prepared for, for the worst. Um, and where I work, um, you know, the city of Indianapolis, you look at uh, just the crime rates, they've skyrocketed. COVID really did a number on mental health, and we're seeing so many shootings in, in the city. Uh, you just never know what you're going to encounter. Mm -hmm. yeah, de definitely. And that's where, you know, if you have the old saying, if you got, you know, two is one and one is none. And that's where, you know, I have multiple of them. I've got multiple IFACs in my car, just in case something goes wrong. Now, of course, if it's just a simple boo-boo, I got more bandages than I know what to do with. But if I really do come across something that's, you know, a very serious situation, a car accident or an industrial accident, something along those lines, I've got 
pretty good supply of materials that I can be of assistance. Now, obviously, a mass event, I may not have enough to treat 20 or 30 people, but, you know, the first three or four people, I think I got that covered. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, truly the key. Um, like I said, going to the range, it, you may have slide bite. You may have, obviously, splatter coming back if you're shooting metal targets. But when it comes down to, you know, the worst case scenario, having people trained in basic first aid. I mean, they're teaching how to use tourniquets in basic first aid classes now through the American Heart Association. It just behooves all of us as firearm instructors to be to have that level of knowledge and to not panic when it happens. Before you start shooting, go over your safety plan. If something happens to me and I get shot, I want you to point that person out. I want you to call 911 and I want you to go meet the vehicle, the ambulance or the first responders that are coming to the site at the gate or whatever the layout is, but designate those people. That, that truly is key. Me working in safety as a safety professional, that's something that I identify, you know, uh, before I ever go into the work zone, you know, you got to know what to do in case of an emergency. Well, you, you want to do, you want to know what to do in case of emergency and you don't want to add to the situation either. You want to be able to go along, be of assistance, not become one of the victims itself. That's right. That's right. Or, situational awareness is key, right? If we have an active shooter event, that's different, right? Um, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in if we can make a difference and not compound the issue for the first responders, that's that's the key. And that's really one of our roles as firearms instructors. We should be going to the nth degree when it comes to medical training and making sure that we, we are their insurance policy when we have students on, on site. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because as I've Podcast listeners know I've said this before. The likelihood of somebody actually getting shot on your range is infinitely small, just you know, from history. But at the same time, can somebody go along an anaphylactic shock because they get stung by a bee? Oh, yeah, because a lot of ranges are outside, around places. Uh, can somebody fall down and break a bone? Can somebody have a heart attack because they're pushing themselves more than that they have, or stroke, or heat exhaustion? All these types of things are much more common to have, and they aren't the, the same response as a gunshot wound, but they definitely deserve just as much quick response and making sure, to your point, Brian, that somebody is calling 911 or calling the dispatch number. One of the things I point out a lot of times to people, we're, we've got our outdoor ranges. They are in remote areas. They're not always easy to go along and say, oh, I'm at XYZ, uh, you know, address, you know, to tell them, Hey, I'm at this place. And you got to go down this gravel road. And then we're the second, uh, second road on the right-hand side. That's not really exact, but if you can go along, give them GPS coordinates. If you can go along, make sure there is the direct dispatch number for the local, uh, police department, fire department, that that's extremely helpful too, because where I am. <laughs> Very close to Indiana, very close to Kentucky. There's been times when I've called 911, I've got the wrong dispatch, and that's just waste time when you go into a situation such a, you know, when you've got a serious situation, you want to get help there as, as quick as possible. And even on my range kit, I've got GPS locations on it because if somebody says, I, where's that at? Well, let's solve it really quick and give you the exact GPS coordinates. So if they've got a set, if they're willing to send a air flight 
you know, helicopter up in the air as they're also sending the ground units. They can do that, but at least I got exactly where we are and what the, what the LZ is and those, those types of things for, because again, time is extremely important to, um, you know, compress as much as possible when it comes to medical emergencies. Yeah. I, I can't reemphasize that enough, Rob, having GPS coordinates really is a lifesaver. Uh, you're looking, if you're 30 minutes, it depends on what county you're in 30 minutes to an hour outside of definitive medical care, that golden hour for trauma is really waning against the, the victim. So having those GPS coordinates cuts a lot of time off. And, and truly, we, I've worked quite a few air evacs, especially in the military. Um, when you see that, see how quick they respond, how, they're, how quick they're there, it, it, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the range we use literally is in Indiana. And we watch, we're so close to the river, we see the uh, barges go floating by during class. Now, that also means that we're that close to Kentucky. There's a good likelihood that we could get the wrong place or the wrong dispatch and potentially get the wrong area, depending upon where what information that 911 operator has available to them. And that's where there's a couple things to keep in mind when you're building out your range kit. Something else I'd like to point out to everybody. You were talking about the American uh, Heart Association. Uh, they also There's also the Stop the Bleed program, and I'll put a little plug in there here for them. If you're interested in the Stop the Bleed uh, program, you as an instructor can go along and apply to become a Stop the Bleed instructor also. It's real easy to do. You go along and apply. You tell them you're currently teaching classes, and they allow you to become an instructor from that standpoint. And they provide you with all the materials. PowerPoints and such to to use in your classes. So that's another way that you can go along and help your community. Another way you can get a resource to show people what to do and educate them so they're they're ready if something you know in their life goes wrong. Well, Brian, what kind of supplies and what kind of training would you call would you be looking into when it comes to teaching advanced medical classes? Wow, uh, I I would start off first. You know what? Uh, a great starting point, like you said, stop the bleed, and then go spend a little bit of money, get uh, a first aid class from a reputable trainer. Uh, get you, get your feet wet with those classes, and then I would start looking at either a tactical emergency casual, casualty class or a tactical combat casualty class. Uh, those are pretty few and far between in most areas. Um, however. If you can get in those classes, they're primarily centered on trauma. Uh, so what we're going to experience when we do have that penetrating trauma uh, and how do we treat it? How do we prevent, uh, you know, a, a, some a fatality on our one of our ranges? And truly, again, insurance policy for everybody that's involved. Um, you know, we talk about massive hemorrhaging. We talk about tension pneumothorax, we talk about airway obstruction. Uh, those are the three preventable deaths on the battlefield. But then we start looking at hypothermia. Well, why hypothermia? Well, when we start losing volume, it's really tough for us to regulate our body temperature. Um, and it starts to go through the, through the toilet very quickly. So, uh, and typically that's a late sign. So how do we prevent it? We got to wrap up our patients, get the blood under control, the bleeding under control, and then wrap our patients up and, and keep them warm. Um, and that's, that's most often overlooked. But if you start looking at how do we treat shock, 
it's a silent killer. Uh, how do we treat shock? We typically wrap our patients up and keep them warm. Um, and then obviously prevent the blood loss or, or whatever the mechanism of injury is caused them to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. when, when you talk about the tactical combat, uh, casual care uh, class and such, how much training does an instructor need before they think about attending a class like that? Because I mean, when I took it, it's got some pretty advanced topics in it. It, it does. Uh, and, and you had a, a foundation in first aid at least. Right. Um, so we take individuals, uh, depending on the, the level of, of class we're teaching, uh, a lot of times we'll either teach the all combatants or we teach the, uh, oh, the um, medical personnel. Um, they just change the guidelines. So that's why I'm kind of hesitant. Um, so we, we're, I believe this year we're going to probably teach the all combatants. Uh, and, and basically anybody that has no medical training can attend this class. Uh, and truly it, it's amazing to see people grow so quickly in the amount of knowledge that they retain, even under stress. Um, we, we've had firearms instructors, we've had, um, lay persons that have no, zero medical training whatsoever. We start teaching them how to, how to, uh, use hemostatic agents, how to wound pack, how to, again, and, and when we start talking about wound packing, we're talking about actually getting your hands bloody and, and actually packing, a, you know, a, a, an animal part. And uh, it, it's impressive to see the stress levels go way up. Uh, but And their people are typically shaking when they're doing that. But again, it simulates stress for these individuals. Uh, so we go from, from basics all the way to advanced. We'll teach. Uh, now, here's the caveat with this. You have to have the appropriate training. You have to have the appropriate certifications to be able to administer some of the advanced effects, right? Or the mm -hmm. advanced treatments. So we always have to have that caveat. But we teach people how to do uh, chest decompression, cricothyrotomy. Um, so starting IVs. Um, and if you don't have medical certifications in the state of Indiana, you can't do any of that. Um, I'm an EMT basic. Uh, but I still have the credentials to teach the advanced skills. I have to have a paramedic or a nurse that, that is standby for me. So they can actually teach those credentials for me. So. Yep. There's definitely some, uh, advanced topics and such that you need those, uh, advanced, uh, skills, education, uh, for it in order to, uh, train them. But at the same time, like we were talking about stop the bleed, very basic, very, you know, beginner level type that you can take and really, uh, can you sink your teeth into it and educate people just enough to get what their appetite and then encourage them to come back to do some additional, uh, scenarios and different things like that. When I took the, uh, the T C class, the biggest eye opener for me was going along and how you approach a situation as far as you don't stabilize the person where you are at you try to move off the x and get them to a safe location so then you can work on them that's uh, a big change when it comes to normal first aid but you got to keep that in mind sometimes because sometimes you are under fire sometimes you are in a bad situation you got to be able to make a quick decision what are you going to do in order to help that person without jeopardizing yourself yeah so you know whenever we teach any of the medical classes we always have, you know, the, the two primary considerations prior to me ever getting to the patient, 
body substance isolation? Do I have gloves and do I have you know personal protective equipment? And then is the scene safe? If I'm taking direct fire, the scene isn't safe, right? So I want to make sure that that I protect myself. I don't compound the issue for other first responders as they come in. And I want to be able to, if I can't, I want to tell the, the victim, if you can come to the sound of my voice, come to the sound of my voice, crawl to me, get to me. I want to try and help you keep talking to the patient um, and help them understand that you can't subject yourself to direct line of fire or now you're down and you're not going to be able to help anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of the things where I say this all the time about firearms where people are horribly handicapped because of, uh, Hollywood, how they, you know, make firearms, uh, act, you know, they, you know, you got endless supply of, uh, ammunition in a gun. You, you know, never have any, you know, recoil with it, things like that. Well, think about it this way. It's the same thing when it comes to first aid that going along and being that hero and running into the burning house when it, you know, without any protective clothing on different things like that looks really good on TV and they come out and they, they're, you know, no worse or wear, you know, they saved that person. But in reality, the situation is, you know, the heat, the smoke, all those types of things would be extremely high risk. And they would be putting their other companions that are on the fire truck at higher risk if they went in there without all their protective gear on. Yeah, I, Rob, I, I truly, you're, you're absolutely right. When it comes to Hollywood, they do a disservice to everybody in, in the firearms industry, um, especially when you see somebody teacupping. You know, I mean, we talk about grip on a regular basis on the firearm side, but my focus is developing good habits. Uh, and one thing that, that I truly stress to individuals is situational awareness, no matter what. You have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be able to help identify what the mechanism of injury, what caused your patient to be in that situation. Uh, what caused them to be down? Why, why do they have penetrating trauma? Uh, did they did they shoot themselves? Was there a malfunction? Or did somebody on the range shoot them? These are things we have to take into consideration, um, and this is why it's, it's truly important to have uh, you know your range safety officer, and then having identified individuals that would be able to dial nine one one prior to ever commencing the the firing on the on the firing line. So. Um, Again, insurance policies for for everybody involves, but um, having that medical training truly is invaluable. And the one thing I go along and always uh, tell people when I'm teaching first aid classes uh, might sound a little selfish, but I put a lot of effort into training in the right way because I might be the person that needs their medical assistance. I might be the person who takes a ricochet off a range. I could be the person having a heart attack. I could be the person who's going to anaphylactic shock because of a bee sting that I wasn't aware I was allergic to. All those kind of things happen at a moment's notice, and you got to have a plan available so that you can, so that people can act on it. Not just you being the person running the range, but so everybody else that's on the range too knows what's going on, and then also keeps keeps the, down the stress level. Uh, that's going on because somebody knows it's their job to call. Somebody knows their job is to meet them at the st main street to guide the ambulance and all those types of uh, jobs. And it uh, lowers the stress because people know what they're doing. That's right. Or, and when you, when you dictate and you really do, you should dictate, you should point out individuals and say your job in case of emergency is 
go to the street and bring the ambulance in. Your job is to call 911 because when you give them those jobs, they don't hesitate typically in high stress situations. They know, hey, I got to call 911. Uh, and, and I truly believe that that cuts minutes off time. Uh, and when we start talking about minutes, especially when it comes to a gunshot wound, um, it, it could be a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. Yes, most uh, definitely. And that's where having good, good uh, range uh, kit, make sure you've got a good range safety briefing. So people under know and understand what you expect out of them and what to do in case there's an emergency. And then just being prepared as you're going around life in your car, around your house, in case something does happen, because remember it's an emergency, which means that it's an unplanned event and you don't want to have to sit there and start thinking about what do I do? It's, there's no time to open up a book and read what you should be doing or open up an app on your phone to have it tell you what to do. And those are all things that, uh, sound great when you're taking a class, not so good when you are actually in the middle of a emergency situation. Yeah. Um, you know, you were asking about what are the things that I would have with me? You know, I, I mentioned the bleeding control stuff. Um, truly, ABD pads, they're super cheap to have. Abdominal pads, um, those are, are, you know, I think they're they're like 59 cents to a dollar a piece. Super cheap. But they hold, on average, depending on the size that you get, you know, a half a liter to a liter of blood as well. So, you look at massive hemorrhaging, that, that's, a, again, a life-saving intervention that we can utilize. Um, rolled gauze, um, again, quick clot, C-locks. Again, if you don't know how to use it, you should educate yourself prior to using it. Don't go sticking C-locks in a, a wound if you don't know what you're doing. Um, I, I'm a huge advocate. If nothing else, get, get a YouTube video. You know, and, and make sure you're getting it from from a reputable training company like uh, North American Rescue or, you know, one of those many other agencies that, that trains regularly, professionally on a regular basis. You know, find out reputable uh, training companies. I'm a huge advocate for finding professionals in the in the in the medical industry as well as uh, in the firearms industry. And sometimes the courses that we take, they're hard, they're tough on our bodies, but when they amp you up in the class, you retain it much better later on. Definitely. And going along and taking these classes multiple times helps you retain more information, helps you be a better instructor, a better firearm person, trainer all the way around. And that's where keep in mind, get the training get the supplies and you won't have any regrets if you need it, or hopefully you'll never need it, but you'll have, have that at your disposal. If uh, something does come up and you need to react to it. Yeah. So one thing that we do with, at, at, at our classes, uh, we give students actual packages of brand new uh, emergency trauma dressings <laughs> or, uh, you know, ABD pads or, and make them open them. Because a lot of people don't realize when you open those Israeli bandages, they're they're actually double packaged. And if you're in a high stress situation where you're having to rip that open and you go to use the bandage and then there's a second package, you know, that that's kind of limiting on on your ability to open those packages because you start losing fine motor skills. 
right? So I'm, I'm, again, I'm a firm believer is, and if you're going to have something in your kit, you need to have multiples of everything and then open them, test them out, figure out how they work, and then stow it back in your kit. I, I, again, knowing that it saves time. Definitely. And time, that golden hour, those are all critical pieces we need to keep in mind for. Well, Brian, this is really great information. Hopefully our listeners got some information about how to set up and teach their medical classes and the different options that are available to them. Uh, one of the things that we've been asking all our guests on season six is what would you like to be remembered for once you pass away? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I, I would like uh, to be remembered. One thing that we stress uh, in, in the military when I was attached to the Marines is, um, do you believe in practice makes perfect? And typically in your classes, everybody will shake their head yes. And those Marines out there will say, absolutely not. It's because you should be training perfect practice makes perfect. Because if you train something 7,000 times and develop a bad habit from those 7,000 different iterations, it obviously you have a bad habit. Now you have to correct it. Um, so my goal is to train individuals uh, on the firearm side, as well as the medical side and giving, give them as perfect training as I can give them high stress situations, make it applicable to what they may encounter on a range or on the streets as a law enforcement officer, firefighter, EMT, and then them come back and say, Hey, wow, I, I was actually able to use this. And I had, I've had several of my students in the past few years send me messages and say, I used what you trained me in and I saved somebody's life. That's the most rewarding thing that I, I could ever expect in any of the classes that I teach. Amen. Uh, I would, I would definitely agree. I haven't had a, a student go along and tell me that it, uh, saved their life, but I have had them, uh, tell me that the, uh, they've been able to apply that, apply the training and, uh, use it appropriately. So that's, uh, good. Well, Brian, where can people find out what classes you're teaching and other information if they want to contact you? So, uh, we have a website, uh, it's www.medmed-tact.com. Um, we have a class on the 2nd of June that starts. Um, we the, the unique thing about our classes is we, we actually lease out a facility in rural Indiana. Uh, it's an all-inclusive package. We include lodging and meals in our classes. So it's pretty unique. We stay out there all week. Uh, it's a five-and-a-half-day class for our tactical medic class. And our tactical combat casualty care class is four days. Uh, but we use, uh, if, if we do the combat lifesaver this year, um, it, it'll be a four full days. Plus we're going to incorporate a canine tactical combat casualty care class as well. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, I took the T triple C class with you a couple of years ago and it's definitely, as I said, it educates you, but also gets your mind thinking about what would you do and what is the appropriate action to take? Yeah. Yeah. Or, and again, hopefully you know, you, you train in it and you never have to use it. That's the key. Mm -hmm. And I've got links to, uh, 
Brian's website, as well as Stop the Bleed Instructor Course for everybody listening. If you'd like to uh, check those out, they will be in the show notes. Brian, I appreciate your time again. You're always a wealth of information and uh, wish you well. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. I hope you found my discussion with Brian to be of use for you and gave you some ideas about maybe what you need to uh, look into investing in this new year and you know offering some medical classes or maybe even taking some medical classes for it. If you're searching for topics for your business, uh, don't forget to check out our website. We've got all our episodes up there and a lot of industry experts that have been on the show in the last uh, four plus, almost five years now going on. If you have questions, email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. And don't forget about the other concealedcarry.com podcast too. The original Concealed Carry podcast, you have the off-duty, on-duty podcast, and the Not Your Average Gun Girl podcast. Also, visit our sponsors, especially the Farm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. You worked hard to get to where you are. Get the FTA on your side. Remember, promo code FTP10 for 10% off on your policy at checkout. We bring this podcast support in the industry. The Second Amendment. And most importantly, every firearm strict America that dedicates time and energy in making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe out there, everybody, and Happy New Year. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.